The opinions expressed on the Rob Report are the opinions of the hosts, participating callers, and or listener emails, texts, and letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Form Communications. A little Bowie to guide you into your afternoon. Hey, it's Rob Port here on 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. We uh, we got a good show coming up in the next hour. Uh, coming up at 1 o'clock, we're going to be talking with Brandon Menenwald. He's running for the State House of Representatives in, um, in District 41. Uh, he's also a big proponent of net neutrality. Now, earlier this week, the FCC... Um, well, their, their repeal of, of net neutrality started going into effect. Um, Mr. Menwald and a group of fellow Democrats and, and, and some, some tech industry people from the Fargo area uh, holding a press release calling on Governor Burgum to, um, to institute sort of state level net neutrality policies. Anyway, we'll talk with him about that. I, he and I, Brandon and I have gone back and forth on net neutrality a little bit. I like Brandon a lot. Uh, but we just we just disagree on this issue, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about it coming up at one o'clock. Also at one thirty, Congressman Kevin Kramer will be joining us for his weekly open phone segment. Uh, these segments you can call in, you can ask whatever you like. Uh, it's for you. Uh, if you don't call in and ask questions, I'll ask the questions. But if you call in, we'll defer to you. You can ask him whatever you like. Now, there's no agenda. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Uh, you can email your questions in as well if you'd like uh, at talk at WDAY.com. Uh, or you can certainly tweet me too, at Rob Port. Um, so anyway, all that's coming up. And and by the way, to be clear, as as I always do on Monday, I emailed Senator Heidi Heitkamp's office to ask if she'd like to come on the program. I realized that we have uh, Congressman Kramer on every week for a town hall and be more than happy to extend uh, similar time to Senator Heitkamp if she'd like to come on the program, uh, but her office doesn't respond to me. So that's that. Uh, let's see what happened. Oh, last night was the big uh, was the big talk at Minot State University last night, Eric. How did that go? It went fantastic. It was a lot of fun. Um you know, I mean, I listen. I, I went in there. I got a big laugh. Uh, the, the topic of the uh, of the discussion, and it was it was a dialogue. Um, and you know, and the topic was sort of the future of higher education, what should be included, what should not be included. We had a very good discussion. I got a big laugh from the room when I said I, I realized that that for higher education, I'm sort of the 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 barbarian at the gate, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they uh, they got a big laugh out of that. Um, but it was great. I mean, a lot of, uh, I put the video, if you want to watch, watch it, I, I put the video up at sayanythingblog.com. One of, one of the people in the audience, um, was kind enough to record it. And, uh, my, my counterpart, um, uh, Dan Kahn, who, uh, is a, a professor of uh, education at the university was kind enough to post it on Facebook. So if you want to check that out. Um, so no, any but jitters, was, any jitters, were you nervous? Did you well, watch the video back and go, Oh really? Did I, do I really look like that? Uh, well, I, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't really had time to watch the video. Okay. I, I do that with podcasts for this show. Like, God, I sound like that. I think, believe it or not, we radio people, I think just like everybody else also do not like the sound right. of our own voice. We it's are actually a, our worst critics because yeah. we just cringe. I've, I'm oh, one of those. God, I, I sound cannot, horrible. Yeah. With, yeah. Back in the day, we used to have to air check with our bosses and thank goodness Mike Campbell doesn't make us do that because I would get like yeah. three sentences in and I'd be like, I quit. <laughs> oh, I, I do it. Like when, when the podcast shows up on, on my phone, uh, probably at least a couple times a week, I'll listen to probably 20, 30 minutes of a show. Just to see if I'm, 
if I have any, you know, vocal tics or something I need right. to work on. I, you know, I mean, like, like with any, any person in any job, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get better. You know, I, I think we can all always improve. So, uh, but no, the, the event went good. It was a very good discussion. Um, I really enjoyed it. There were some jitters about going into a room full of academics. I mean, I'm a, I'm a college dropout. I'm a college dropout. I am very, I've been very, very critical of, of higher education, not higher education as a concept. I'm very, very pro education. Uh, I'm very critical. I think of the, of, of, of the way we deliver, we're currently delivering higher education. Uh, and, and actually, believe it or not, I found a lot of agreement in that room. There was one guy, Eric, who, uh, at one point, like he he raises his hand to ask a question. He says, "I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I agree with Rob Port." Oh boy! Um, afterwards, he came up. Afterwards, he says, "I'm a liberal. I agreed with every single thing you said tonight." <laughs> we should get a T-shirt. I can't I, believe <laughs> I agree with Rob Port. <laughs> no kidding, right? I can't believe it. What what is happening? Um, one interesting development, though, and I I I was aware. I mean, because. Um, Dan Kahn, who was the, the, the other side of, of the discourse. And it was, I mean, really, it was a room full of people, and everybody was talking, which was really great. But my counterpart, sort of the, the guy on the other side, uh, was Dan Kahn, who's a smart guy, really a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, he told me he got a lot of pressure to not participate, to, to, to not even engage with me, to not be there. Uh, I've, some of the people in the audience were mentioning during the show that there was pushback on campus to, to even holding the event with me there. And to not have me there. And, and I found out after the event, and this, this really made me sad. I mean, this, and, and it was even disconcerting. Um, they had scheduled, um, Robert, uh, Kibler had, who, who organized, he's the, uh, uh, chair of the humanities department at Minot State University. He organized the event. He told me that the original moderator he asked, who was another professor at the university, uh, he had asked her to, to moderate. She pulled out, Eric, and her reason was she said she felt unsafe in the room with me. What? Unsafe. She said that uh, that I was a Nazi, that I would probably bring other Nazis, that the room wouldn't have enough exits if things got bad. Are you she kidding me? Feel, she, would, she felt she wouldn't be safe to flee the room. That's what he said. Do people even know what Nazis are anymore? I don't I mean, know. that term gets thrown out quite liberally and over almost anything people disagree with now. You are far from a Nazi. <laughs> I don't, I, that isn't, actually, I'll, I'll, I don't, I rarely use this, but that is a stupid remark. That, yeah. That it's moronic well, for her to even say something like that. I mean, listen, I, I realize that I am a polarizing person. I, and I, I say and write things that, that people disagree with and, and they find controversial. Now, personally, I find, I find value in that. I don't set out to try to make people mad on purpose. I don't set out to just be shocking for the sake of being shocking. I think there's people in this business that do that. I'm not one of them. Um, that being said, I, I realize my ideas are provocative. And I, I think that there's value in that, even even for people who disagree. And I found a lot of this in the room. I mean, that's what I kept telling people is, you know, even if you leave this room and you disagree with me, I hope at the very least that maybe I poked you a little bit. Maybe I maybe I, I expanded your point of view a little bit so that even if even if you didn't change your mind, you still found value in it. So I, I realize I, I know what I am. I'm a provocative person. I make provocative points. I make provocative arguments. Um, I think that's my job. My job is to provoke thought. My job is to provoke discussion. And I hope that I'm good at it. Um, I don't think that that makes me a Nazi. I, I think there are people who have trouble. Um, I think there are people who have trouble on, on, on and I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying this about any specific ideology. I think that there are people in this world of, of all sorts of viewpoints who just have trouble 
with people who disagree. And then they have trouble accepting that somebody is going to make this point and it makes me upset and it disrupts my worldview. But that doesn't mean that the person is doing it to be mean or to be hateful or to be bigoted. Or, right. or anything like that. I don't know that I've ever seen an article of yours, and I, I got to admit, I can't say that I've read everything that you've ever put out there. Oh, but I, I put but, I put a lot of stuff out. But I, I don't remember you ever being racist or an elitist or a nationalist from yeah. the standpoint ever. I, I don't think I've ever seen an article, so I, yeah, I, I don't get I, the tie-in. I, but I, I don't either. Well, a caller on the line, Stephen. Go ahead, Stephen. What's up? Hello? Oh, yeah, Stephen, you're on. What's up? Yeah, uh, the the big reason that uh, they call you a Nazi is because they've been taught that the Nazi the Nazi name is derogatory, and that's all they want to do is create something derogatory. They've never been well, taught it is, what it's meant. Well, it, well, not well, Nazi is derogatory. I mean, it's it's a hateful, right. ugly, horrible ideology. But the and term that's why is- they do it because they want to create a hate, ugly everything. You know, they don't have to know what it means. They just know that it means that. Yeah. And so that's why they use it. Yeah, it's I, I think I think it's become short. Thanks, Stephen. I, I think it's become shorthand, Eric, just for people who just want to shut up other people. Right. Like it's just a shorthand that in the racist accusation. I, I think a lot it gets thrown around and I, I think it's just meant to distract. Like I, I don't, I don't have a rebuttal for what you're saying, so I'm just going to drop right. this accusation well, into the conversation. I don't know if ever you and like six of your buddies ever went over with your brown shirts on and drug somebody out of their house and beat them and killed them. Right. Well, we I mean, and, Nazis did. Right. Well, I mean, that, well, see, so that's the thing. Like, like the Nazi ideology. I mean, and obviously we all know the Nazis because they fought the war. They're responsible for the Holocaust. Horrible, horrible people. But even, even drilling down to their like philosophy of government that's a big government philosophy i i don't understand how that's being applied to somebody i would like smaller federal government i want smaller i want the government less in your lives not more in your lives the nazis didn't believe that so even on like a purely ideological level and i and i can't believe i mean this is this is why people make the nazi accusation accusation here eric because here i am on air trying to explain to people how i'm not a nazi which seems ridiculous caller chris you're on what's up hey rob i wanted to comment on what this uh this professor said about you but before i do that i want to say i'm a fairly liberal person myself i I listen to your show whenever i can and even though i disagree with you i find your arguments to be helpful and uh sometimes i do agree with you and and i think it's important that we listen to people we disagree with I would I would be sad not not to interject Chris I would be completely satisfied if I never changed anybody's mind if if everybody who listened to me disagreed with me and I never changed their minds but at the very least they still found it valuable at the very least they came away and said you know what I feel like I'm a little more informed or I feel like I at least understand the arguments against me a little bit better if I can accomplish that much I'm satisfied yeah, and I think that's a that that's that's a noble endeavor, and and more people should should be doing that sort of thing. But but the comment I wanted to make was about what your last caller said about how uh, you know they just throw out the term Nazi uh, as a derogatory term. I think that does happen, but we got to keep in mind we're not we're not talking about Joe Blow on the street. We're talking about a college professor, somebody who's supposed to be an example of our our best and our brightest. I think that she really does believe it, and that's what scares the heck out of me. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I, I mean, and I can tell you, I mean, 
when when the organizer of the event last night was telling me why the moderator pulled out, and I didn't know the moderator had pulled out. Who, the person who ended up moderating last night was uh, Robert's wife, and you know she did a great job in the event. The event was wonderful too, by the way. I mean, it was it was wonderful. Everybody in the room had a good time. I think every it, it was it was really wonderful. I'm glad I did it. I was not censored. I was not threatened or anything like that it, it was a great it was a wonderful event but i had when robert was telling me this i had to keep asking him like what wait what i'm a nazi i'm gonna i'm gonna hurt people like why I, I i had to keep asking him for clarification i didn't believe it yeah well i'll give you an, uh, just a real quick example i have a friend of mine was educated i can't remember where she was educated at an east coast school i want i think it was in massachusetts and she was always a fairly liberal person but ever she went to that school and I follow her on Facebook, the things that she's a highly educated woman, the things that she posts in regards to, like, um, the Antifa people and stuff like that, like, she really believes it. Like, crazy things, like, we, like it's okay to destroy people's property. Like, it's so, I mean, all this stuff. Yeah. Like, this, well, even- there are, these professors are teaching this stuff, and they really believe it. Well, and if and if you want to see where the rubber meets the road on that sort of thing, look uh, a, a very local example: the Dakota Access Pipeline protests. I mean, these are people who are who are, who are, who are convinced <laughs> yes. that their political point of view entitles them to say light a truck on fire and push it across railroad tracks, which is something Absolutely. they did in Bismarck. Oh, uh, to, my, to, my my fiance was stationed uh, in the military at that protest, and um, she is Native American, and yeah. she went in there feeling she was going to be conflicted. And after she was there for about one day, she said that she's never seen anything so sick in her entire life, and she wasn't conflicted one bit after that. And what really frustrated me about that is I, I don't, I'm, I'm not opposed to having a debate about pipeline safety. I'm not opposed to having a debate oh, yeah. about about the indigenous lands. I mean, obviously, that's that's hugely complicated. There's a lot of very hurtful history behind that, and I want to have those discussions. It's hard to have those discussions when people are lighting things on fire and 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 shoot using slingshots to shoot rocks at the cops. Like that's how do you, how do you have that conversation in that in that area? You know, and it's it's like this. Like I go into a room and and. And, you know, he's a Nazi. Okay, well, now we're having a debate about whether or not I'm a Nazi, and we're not talking about the topic at hand. And I, I don't want to say that. Last night we had a very good, very, very wonderful conversation about higher ed. The video is up at sayanythingblog.com if people want to see it. Um, I, I thought I thought it just went great. Chris, thank you for the call. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Want to take a break? This is the Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. We'll be right back after this. Eric, we were talking about, like, like looking back at the video of the event or whatever and thinking that, you know, I didn't look that. They're posting pictures right now. Okay. Uh, and uh, some of the pictures, not not flattering <laughs> on my growing bald spot. Oh, you didn't wear your baseball cap. Did I didn't look- wear my hat. I was, well, I, was trying to, I was trying to look nice, you know. Okay. Did you have a suit on or something? Or no, I didn't have a okay. suit on. For let's not, you didn't let's go not that crazy. far. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> no, I had a nice button-up shirt on and uh, combed my hair. Took my hat off, combed my hair, and uh, yeah, I got a big giant bald spot. It's getting a little thin up there. It's making me feel combed all three feel. hairs over, and you're good to go. Yeah, comb, comb, <laughs> more than three. <laughs> my problem, my problem is my hair is not so much. I'm not so much losing hair as it's migrating is the problem. Yeah, I got that same problem. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, well, I, I, just to the event last night, and, and again, the um, the moderator pulled out supposedly because I'm a Nazi, and I I think there's a there's a point here, and I again, those accusations are made so that 
it's it's about silencing other people, right? Like you're you're a Nazi, so that then and I I guess I'm I'm falling for it because I'm sitting here explaining to people how I'm not a Nazi, and I don't think that needs an explanation. That's self evident. Not a Nazi. I don't like Nazis. I have nothing in common with Nazis. Um, I will say uh, this before we move on from this. Sure. I do agree with what Chris had to say. I believe it was Chris. It actually concerns me that this is somebody that teaches, uh, that's actually a professor that yeah. was dumb enough to make a comment like that, and they're actually teaching students. I, well, I, I and, and wouldn't, wouldn't participate, that. like wouldn't show up and participate. Although although I, I, think, I think she ends up looking foolish because the event went great. I think everybody in that room knows that was a silly accusation to make. There was nothing dangerous that went on last night. We had a great discussion. Not everybody agreed. Uh, and that was fine. Everybody, I mean, it w- there was a very nice attitude there last night. But I, I do think there's an important point to make about free speech here. Because one thing that we hear a lot, and we've been hearing a lot lately, uh, is this thing about how hate speech isn't free speech, right? And, and the reason why I think that is such a dangerous claim to make um, because, A, hate speech is subjective. This woman who was supposed to moderate our discussion at Minot State University last night, she thinks that I, I obviously, I mean, she thinks I'm a Nazi, so obviously she thinks that I perpetrate hate speech, right? And so if, if hate speech isn't free speech, if hate speech doesn't have First Amendment protections, then I guess then it's okay to silence somebody like me, Right? Which, to me, subverts the very concept of the First Amendment in the first place. Popular speech doesn't need protections, right? We don't, we don't need the first—and and I'm, I'm talking even beyond the First Amendment, right? Because the First Amendment is a restriction on the government censoring you. To me, the spirit of the First Amendment goes far beyond its, its legal requirements. The spirit of the First Amendment is also as a society, even though— it may be legal for us to try to silence other people that maybe we not do that because we support the idea of free speech. That concept where it is most important is when it comes to unpopular speech, even speech that is hateful, even speech that is bigoted. That's where we need the protections. I mean, the, the, the real test of a society's commitment to free speech is whether or not we're going to allow unpopular people to say unpopular things. If we're not willing to do that, then we don't have free speech, right? Because if it's just if it's just you and I sitting around talking about baseball, if it's just you and I sitting around talking about the weather, that doesn't need First Amendment protections. That is not controversial speech, right? Nobody cares about that. What needs protections, what demands protection, the reason why we had to create the First Amendment and the reason why we spend so much time talking about the First Amendment, again, even beyond its legal strictures is the idea that free that unpopular speech has to be protected. If we're not going to protect unpopular speech, then what are we doing? What is the point? 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. But anyway, it was a great event, Eric. I would absolutely do something like that again. Um, and they're re- they're really swinging for the fences with these events. I think their next one's on gun control. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, woo! That'll well, be gotta, a good. One. I'm I'm not I'm not participating in that one. Uh, you, you or at least give, they haven't invited me. But. You got to give the university credit. I mean, they're stepping up. Well, exactly. Uh, well, and not only stepping up. I mean, I I give them a lot of credit uh, because they obviously, and I I wasn't even aware of it till after the event. They got some blowback from on campus for even inviting someone like me. 
And you know what? They stuck to their guns. They said, no, this is somebody we want to hear from. Here's a, this is a viewpoint we want to be a part of the discussion. Uh, and you know what? I, I, I think I brought value. Everybody in the room seems to think I brought value. I thought it was worthwhile. So anyway, the, again, the full videos at SayAnythingBlog.com if you want to check it out. It was a great event. It was a lot of fun. More to come straight ahead here on the Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. We, uh, today, Senator Heidi Heitkamp, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure this is the first ad from her campaign. There's been pro Heitkamp ads running before, but they were by, like, PACs. I think this is the first ad released by senator heitkamp's campaign now senator heitkamp's i mean she's raised a ton of money her campaign's been touting all the money she's been getting uh <laughs> oh geez excuse me uh mostly it's been from out of state um i know at the end of 2017 uh, senator heitkamp i think had gotten like three times more from new yorkers than she'd gotten from north dakotans anyway uh she's got a ton of money in her campaign so obviously what's the first ad you run when your uh your your coffers are packed full of money and uh, and you want to make a splash with North Dakota voters? I I guess what you do is you recycle an ad from your 2012 campaign, because that's what she did. It's the exact same ad. Now they've done some tweaks, right? Because I think in it, like some of it's it's Senator Heitkamp and her family members, uh, and I get in it. I I think they say like, oh, she's going to be a good senator. They tweaked some of that and changed it, so now it's uh, she is a good senator. Stuff like that, you know, basically changing the the tense that they're speaking in. But other than that, it's the exact same ad. It's the same ad. Uh, <laughs> why why would you do that? I, I I guess I'm not quite getting it. Why would you do that? I mean, she's it's not 2012 anymore. I think in 2012 it was sort of like I mean, she'd obviously in 2012 when she was campaigning, she'd been out of the spotlight for a while. You know, the last time she was on the statewide ballot was 12 years previous in 2000 when she lost the gubernatorial election to uh, then Governor John Hoven, uh, who's obviously now our, our other senator. I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just trying to figure out why you would do this, why you would sort of just tweak an old ad and re-release it into the wild. Uh, the oh, By the way, I have both versions of the ad if you want to see what few differences there are up at sayanythingblog.com. Um and so I've been trying to do this, and, and I think some people, I saw a lot of people jumping to the conclusion that Senator Heitkamp's just mailing it in, right? Like this is just, you know, maybe an indication that she's not going to put as much effort into this as maybe some people think. Now, I, I don't think that's true at all. I think I think Senator Heitkamp's going to campaign like crazy. I think she's surrounded by very aggressive people. Uh, she's brought a lot of people from national left-wing organizations like Media Matters into her campaign, uh, and they have a ton of money. They're going to spend that money. They're going to campaign aggressively. I think what's going on here is that Senator Heitkamp needed to stop the bleeding. I think she had to get she had to get a message out and a positive message about herself out in front of a North Dakota electorate that seems to be souring on her. And, and what I'm talking about is just earlier this month, a couple weeks ago, there was new polling out released by Morning Consult, uh, and it shows that Senator Heitkamp saw a nine-point drop in her net approval rating in the first quarter of 2018, which comes on top of, came on top of an 11-point drop in the four, uh, fourth quarter of 2017. Um, the number of North Dakotans saying that they approve of the job that Senator Heitkamp is doing uh, is now under 
you know, based on and, and this most recent poll is based on uh, surveys through from January first through March thirty first. Um, she's dropping, you know, and 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 again. If we go back to July of 2017, Senator Heitkamp's approval number in this same poll was north of 60%. I think it was like 61%. So she's gone from, in July, in in less than a year, has gone from more than 61% approval down to 47% approval. Now, what's driving that? Well, lots of things. You know, the, the fact that she's going to be on the ballot, I think she's obviously <clears throat> on the minds of North Dakota voters a little bit more. They're considering perhaps her record. You know, also, by the way, she's got a voting record now, and people are starting to consider that as well. So she's going to be on the ballot this year. People are thinking about that. And obviously, you also have Republicans out criticizing her, right? The, the Republicans are, are are ratcheting up their campaign. Congressman Kevin Kramer's obviously in the race. Uh, on top of that, you've seen, you know, right-of-center uh, political action committees like the NRSC, uh, and others uh, running ads against Senator Heitkamp. There's been a lot of negative messaging about her. Uh, I think what's worrying Senator Heitkamp is that's having an impact. Her net approval rating has gone from about 33 down to less than 10. Her net approval rating, I think, in this last poll was about 7. I mean, you're talking about over net approval. That's the difference between the people who approve with her, approve of her and the people who disapprove. Uh, it was plus 30. It's now under 10. That is a precipitous drop. And so what do you do if you're an incumbent senator in one of the most watched congressional races in the country? High-profile race, right? You are, you are tasked. You, you, you barely won in 2012. You have a strong Republican challenger in a state where the presidential candidate that you supported got less than 30% of the vote. The presidential candidate who's in office now got over 60% of the vote. You are tasked with holding on to a United States Senate seat that's been in the Democratic Party since the Truman administration. Did you know that, Eric? The Truman administration. And the last time a Republican held that seat was in the Truman administration. That's a long time. It's a long time. I, I think it surprises a lot of people. See, North Dakota is this, you know, dominated Republican state. Democrats have held that, that seat for a long time. So here, Senator Heitkamp's got to do all that, uh, and she's bleeding. Figuratively speaking, I don't want anybody to accuse me of using violent rhetoric here, Eric. Well, it's not going to come from me. <laughs> she's figuratively, she's figured. Oh, I know, I wasn't accusing you. She's figuratively bleeding. Uh, and I think, that, I think they rushed this ad out, recycled an old ad. Because producing an ad takes time. You know, it takes time to get the people together. It takes time to get the messaging together, you know. And so I think what they did is they took an old ad and they recycled it because Senator Heitkamp's got to stop the bleeding. Well, I sometimes wonder, because I see them using old images as well, that she doesn't want to have more of a youthful appearance in her ads. Yeah, Do you maybe. think that has anything? Because I've seen you know, them use maybe. old photos, old stock photos of her from when she was younger. And it's like, that's not what she looks like. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, You know, and the thing is, if, if that's what people are basing their votes on, that's pretty gross. You know, I, I, don't, I don't like that at all. I, I don't. Physical appearance has really nothing to do with this at all. Um, you I'm know, not about, saying entirely. Oh no, maybe like I know. Oh no, but but you're right. It does. I wish it didn't. I'm bemoaning the fact that you're right. You are right, Eric. And I I, I have no doubt that maybe that's a part of it. Is is recycling? Uh, you know, and earlier we saw an incident where um, a a super PAC aligned with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer rolled out an ad. Uh, and what the candidates do 
is they make B-roll footage just available on the internet. Because what, what's what's what cannot happen is the campaigns, the candidates themselves, cannot coordinate with the independent political action committee. So they can't get together and like swap information and talk to one another about what they want messaging to be. But what the campaigns can do is they can put what their messaging and their imagery, what they want to be, out on the internet. And then the political action committee just happens to pick it up. And that's what Senator Heike had to kind of skirt that that election law prohibition. Uh, and, and Republicans do this too. But, you know, the B-roll that she put out was also from 2012, that the soup, that, that Schumer-aligned super PAC. So is this is this about maybe using imagery of a youth, more youthful Senator Heitkamp? I mean, these Senate terms are long. You know, the imagery from those 2012 ads, six years old now. Uh, is that part of it? You know, maybe. I mean, all, all politicians are obviously good. It, it shouldn't matter how politicians look, but... Unfortunately, it does. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, Joshua sends an email that goes, you seem to only care that Heidi Heitkamp gets money from out-of-state donors. I rarely hear you talk about the long history of John Hoven, Kevin Kramer, Rick Berg, Jack Dalrymple, Doug Bergham, or any other Republican doing the same. I'm not saying it's good, bad, or otherwise, but why do you only seem to, to talk about the Democrats doing it like it's bad? Uh, well, it's because, and, and I have not looked at the most recent uh, Kramer hadn't really started his campaign since February. Those reports are just out. I haven't gotten a chance. When I write on it, I will include in the article, because I will inevitably write an article about Senator Heitkamp's uh, most recent out-of-state contributions, uh, I will I will mention, as I always do with the Republicans, what the Republicans get. The difference is the Republicans don't get nearly as much from out-of-state. You know, I Republicans usually, and, and, and you know, on average, will get 60 to 70% of their money from out-of-state. Even even like Senator Hoven. I mean, they will usually Democrats routinely get 90 plus percent from out of state. Well, and it makes sense because the state is dominated by Republicans. And if right. you're running a contentious race or a tough race, you're as a Democrat, you're going to have to pull money from somewhere. And the majority of the donors right. in the state are Republicans. So and, it makes uh, sense also, to be out and of also, state. also in any but even 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 I mean, even the Republicans getting most when you're an incumbent member of Congress, you're going to draw money from a lot of this uh, from around the country. So I have no doubt, yeah, Congressman Kramer's probably going to get. We'll see what his number is. I have not done the math on his reports. Those reports haven't been out that long. It's a lot of spreadsheet work to get that. I just haven't done it yet. I will do it. And I, I have in the past. But I can tell you, uh, routinely, Senator Heitkamp gets 90-plus percent of her money from out of state. Uh, and even before that, Earl Pomeroy, Kent Conrad, Byron Dorgan, also routinely got 90-plus percent of their money from out of state. Now, the reason why I think that matters is, that, to me, looks egregious. It looks very egregious. Now, you may think it's a big deal. You may not think it's a big deal at all. My job is to present that information to you, and I'll talk about it, and I'll tell you what I think about it. But I think it's an important part of the conversation. I do talk about John Hoven and Kevin Kramer and Rick Berg and Jack Dalrymple and Doug Bergman and where they get their money from. As a matter of fact, I, I remember making a pretty big deal about the fact that Bill Gates was dropping a million-dollar check into Doug Bergman's campaign. I thought that was a big deal. I wrote about that. That's a great big out-of-state contribution. So I talk about it. I, I, I think the perception that I don't is maybe people just being 
upset that people are being critical of Heidi Heitkamp. I think that's what that's born of. Going to take a break. We'll be right back after this. 701, why do you think Senator Heitkamp is recycling a 2012 campaign ad? Is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? Love to hear from you. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. This letter the editor just popped up about me in the Fargo forum. Kind of made me laugh. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. The letter writer manages not to call me a Nazi, Eric, which is always a plus. Must not be a relative of that professor. I guess not. Why not then? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Letter writer says, on the opinion page of the Inforum, I find it offensive that Rob Port of, quote, say anything, is allowed to use, quote, commentary as a lead into his article as this lends to an implied factual position of the newspaper. Please use a lead-in of Say Anything or use Biased Opinion as the preferred lead-ins to articles by paid employees of the forum who do not represent official positions of the forum or the publisher. If you need to save type for the lead-in, you can always shorten it to BO, since in my biased opinion, Say Anything stinks like BO. Good one. Good one, Jan. That's why Jan Cool of Savage, Minnesota. I thought it was a good one. I thought the B.O. line was pretty funny, Eric. That's that's good. B.O. That's very creative. Very creative. Caller, Darren, you're on. What's up? Rob, I just feel that I don't feel – I feel her heart isn't in this one. She's going to get a cushy pension for her six years, and uh, she might just be going through the motions. My question is, how much of that campaign money can she keep, if any, or does she have to give it back to other candidates or the party? Well, so I'm, now, I'm trying to remember because we ran into this issue with Byron Dorgan. Remember when he opted not to run right. again? He had, a, he had I think, like $10 bucks still sitting in his ah. can. It was, it, was, it was a big, big pot of money. Um, now, he can he could still use that money for – he could still use it for like political expenses. So if he traveled other places in the country to right. uh, to campaign, you know, ostensibly to campaign or, or to go about political business, he could still use it for that. Um, I think he donated a lot of it to like he donated some of it to like the state Democratic Party. I think he donated some of it to the National Democratic Party and to candidates. Uh, they can't just spend it on themselves, at least not no. without that. Not, not without not that excuse of. Right, like you said, not directly. Um, but there are lots of things. Um, they don't necessarily have to give it back. I always thought the the honorable thing would be to just, if you're not going to run, if people gave you money to elect you and you're not right. running for re-election, then you just give the money back. Um, now, it's a little bit different Heidi's because in, Dorgan, Dorgan, sorry, go ahead. Heidi's in line for a pension, I'm sure, for her six years, so. Well, what is, I, I mean, I, I think from the very beginning, if you serve even one right. term in Congress, you are um, right. you are entitled to like lifetime health care and and things like that. Yeah, so you know she's going to be far from the breadline. Oh, oh, I don't think. Well, Senator Heitkamp's independently wealthy too. I mean, she's right. a, she's a she's right. a multimillionaire, which which good for her. Um, you know, I I don't begrudge her her success. I just I just don't feel her heart is in it unless it's way too early, but it's it's coming up. I, I I I think I think she's going to campaign like crazy. I I disagree with you a little bit, Darren. I think she's going to campaign like crazy. Uh, I think I think the reason why they rushed this ad out, I I think they had to get something out. It takes time to produce right. those ads. It takes time. Right. This was an ad. They just had to do some tweaks to it to roll it out. I think the problem is her poll numbers are are crashing, and she had to stop the bleeding. 
I think well, that's yeah, what's going I mean, on. She's got a real candidate this time, I think. You know, like you said in your article, Berg, Berg uh, worked hard to lose that race. <laughs> he did. He worked yeah. very hard to lose the race. Kurt, uh, thanks for the call, Darren. Appreciate it. Uh, Kurt, Kurt emails about Senator Heitkamp's ad. Uh, he says it. Uh, her ad is still accurate to her childhood days. She's still hiding in the laundry room. <laughs> that's yeah. That's been the kind of a Republican line: hiding, Heidi. Heidi's hiding stuff like that. That and high five Heidi. They're, they're going with a lot of alliteration, Eric. Which. Just, just from a literary perspective, I appreciate it. I I'm like going to have to watch the ad. I've seen just like five seconds of it. And I haven't paid that close of attention. I'm, I'm, you can see, you can see both the 2012 version and the 2018 version at sayanythingblog.com. Okay, I'll, I'll check it out. Check I, it out. I haven't gotten in my political brain as of yet because we're still many, many months away. But I suppose oh, I'm going to have to start ramping it up. Oh, come on, Eric! It's an election year. Well, the best kind like, of year. We've got like 7,000 people running for the city council here in Fargo. Yeah, that's that's hard enough to keep track of, let alone that's everything true. else. <laughs> and that's yeah. in June, so that's where my they've focus gotta, is going. We, we've got to do something about the city council. They need to change the election. I don't know why they brought it up. I mean, it, I don't, I, I don't, some of the stuff like the consensus voting thing I thought was a little silly, but I think there's something like, I don't know, like narrow the field and then do like a runoff, right. I think would be the better way. Anyway, hour two coming up. Hey, we're going to talk about net neutrality. Brandon Medenwald, he's a Democratic candidate, District 41. He wants net neutrality policies nationally. He wants Governor Burgum to implement net neutrality policies locally. We'll talk with him coming up next year on the Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back. Hour two, Rob Port 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Eric, I was dadding a little bit via text message during the break. My uh, daughter, who's a junior, she she lost a point on a on a test, uh, and they were they were asking for the causes of the Great Depression. And a couple of weeks ago, her and I were sitting around, we were having a conversation. I was telling her about this interesting article that I had read that had identified uh, prohibition, uh, the ban of of alcohol sales, as a contributing factor to the depression. Because obviously, you know, booze is a big industry even at that time. And if all of a sudden you make that product illegal, there are economic consequences to right. that, that often aren't often aren't uh, identified as a contributing factor of the Great Depression. So in her test, she she said that uh, her teacher marked marked a point off um, and said that that wasn't a major cause of the Great Depression. And she's like, well, you didn't ask for major causes. You asked for causes. And now she's uh. asking me, well, should I go talk to my teacher about it? I told her she should. I said, maybe yeah. he won't change his mind. Um, but you don't have to be mad. Uh, you might not ever change his mind, but it's it's worth making your case. So Well, it's very good know, that maybe. she is on top of that situation and willing to stick yeah. up for herself and she at least partially had the correct answer. Even right. though and I have to, I have to tell her, I said, Don't don't get mad at you, because that's what I did. I had to spend a lot of time at the principal's office for arguing in class. <laughs> I would never I go see that. the resource center. Just can't yeah, guess that. Weird. Yeah. Anyway, uh, here to talk, Brandon Medenwald, who is not on to talk about contributing factors of the Great Depression. Uh, Brandon, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, happy to be here. Great Depression, yeah, that would not probably be my subject. Although in my case, I can remember being in trouble once on a test for, it was world history, and the answer was Germany, it was during World War II, and I got a point off because I didn't identify them as Nazi Germany, Nazi which I thought Germany. was actually implied in the 1940s, you know, but so be it. As opposed to like, as opposed to like Weimar Germany and the Weimar yeah. Republic, exactly. So who knows? Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what are you going to do? Well, we are here to talk about <laughs> applying depression era regulatory policy to the internet, 
Net neutrality. Ah, um, good segue. You like that? You like how I did that? Yeah, that's why I make <laughs> Although the Although it's bucks. worth noting that the that the uh, even today the rules applying to the internet are still depression era. They're depression era before yeah. net neutrality. They still are after net neutrality. So still depression. Well, you and I, you you and I disagree on net neutrality. I think one thing we both agree we though is it, it might be time to update some of these regulatory policies to recognize that we're living in the 21st century now. Oh, Rob, you and me are Maybe. in lockstep on that. So absolutely. 1930s telecom regulation is what currently regulates the Internet. And again, it's always been that way since the beginning of the Internet in, at large. And whether we talk about absurd. the Depression era events, whether we talk about uh, income t- uh, or sales tax on the Internet, that's another hot topic at the Supreme Court this week. Um, those are all things where the Internet has gotten far ahead of lawmakers. And it's time that we have lawmakers at, at the congressional level catch up so we have better rules. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, on the on I, I I'm not so sure. I unnecessary, and I we're way off topic. But like the sales tax <laughs> issue, I'm not I'm not so sure. Like in that one, I, I'm not sure. I I really see the distinction. I mean, whether we're whether I'm conducting commerce across state lines by use of the mail system, ordering things from mm-hmm. a catalog in the 1950s or whatever, or even the 1980s sure. when that when that, mm-hmm. uh, or if I'm using a computer to send that message across state lines that I want you know, some delicious cookies or something delivered to my house uh, across mm-hmm. state lines. To me, that's still interstate commerce, and states don't mm-hmm. regulate interstate commerce. I'm not against states taxing it, but I, I don't like the South Dakota case. I think it weakens interstate commerce. I think interstate commerce protections are important in North Dakota. You look at the fight we had with Minnesota over coal energy, you know, mm-hmm. coal-fired electricity flowing into their state. I don't want to weaken the interstate commerce clause. I think if we want to fix the sales tax problem, Congress has got to act. Now, I, I know that's a big ask, getting Congress to do anything these days, but you know what? I think that's what the Constitution – yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree with you there. I think that's a solid point. People have asked me this, of course. Again, I, I run an online business, and I don't, you know, of course, pay sales tax. People have asked me time and time again, too. They're like, well, don't you feel like you should be paying sales tax? And I always say the same thing. I'm not necessarily even against paying a tax. Like, that doesn't kill me as a business. Well, it's not even you paying. I mean, it's, it's, it's you. It's, I'm sorry, go ahead. It's you, coll- it's you collecting the tax. I mean, it's not even you paying the tax. You would collect right, it. Right, 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 right. So, but the truth, right. right. The trick is that... And thanks for correcting me on that. The trick is, is that dealing with 50 different states and, you know, 51 counting D.C. and all the different ways in which, you know, the different rates and stuff like that is prohibitive for a company my size. You know, with four people, I can't have a relationship with 51 right. different taxing districts in, in, this, in the country. That is crazy. Well, no, 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 so, not even it's, – it's more than that, actually, because if you think about it, here in North Dakota, the sales tax in Fargo is different than the sales tax mm-hmm. in Minot. Because there's a yeah, municipal no, that's, tax on top That's of that. a fair point. So I don't know anybody in the world that could do it, which is why, you know, obviously you pay sales tax, you collect sales tax based on the jurisdiction you're in, based on where you're, yeah. you know, theoretically consuming things like the roads and the bridges and the schools and so on. Um, so, yeah, uh, doing it at the Internet-wide level, I agree with you. That's going to take an act of Congress to find some way to do that in a way that makes some sense. I, I, I honestly, I think the states, because I mean, the Constitution allows for states to come together and create compacts, and these compacts have to be approved by Congress. So there you get around the regulating interstate commerce requirement. Congress would be involved approving it. An interstate compact would solve the problem. The problem is just getting everybody to agree, which seems, uh, it, it seems impossible. Anyway, I brought you like on to talk about, <laughs> like herding cats. I brought you on to talk about net neutrality. Now, Obviously, the FCC has rolled that back. That started to go into mm-hmm. effect this 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 last week. Um, you're asking Governor Burgum to implement state level net neutrality regulations. Does the government even ha- the governor even have that power? 
Okay, so here's the trick. We are not asking to, yeah, the governor does not have the power to implement that statewide on just the way the Internet works. But what the governor does have the power to do is specify how the RFP process works for statewide contracts. So, you know, the giant RFPs that we said, it's a request for proposal for those that don't know. It's what we send out to people when the state wants to do business. So when we have StageNet or when NDSU, for example, needs Internet access, they send out a request for proposal and Internet companies bid on that. What we can do is we can say if it's a state contract and we're going to send taxpayer dollars to that company, we're going to make sure that company doesn't censor the Internet for the customers in North Dakota. That's something that we can do, um, and that's fairly easy to do without having to get too much of the legislature involved. But that would only be for Internet service providers who are fulfilling RFPs, because otherwise they wouldn't qualify Correct. for an RFP. Correct. Right? No, absolutely. They this does not do solve the problem at a national level. It just, put, it just raises the bar for the people doing business in North Dakota. Do we want to do that? Because the federal government does that all the time. The federal government always ties all sorts of strings to federal money. If you're gonna, if you're gonna get a federal contract, or you're gonna, if you're a, an institution of higher education, you're gonna affect, you know, accept federally backed uh, student loans or grants or what have you. We're gonna tie all sorts mm-hmm. of strings about that, and we're gonna. Do we want the state government to be getting into into that business? Well, I think that we're already in that business. I think that the RFP. I just got to look at the RFP for StageNet. That is a long and complex document. So we're already putting a lot of stipulations on what you have to be able to do and what you can and can't do and all kinds of things about how you can use subcontractors. But a lot of that is is about fulfilling the contract, not fulfilling some political desire. Well, but, I mean, there are also privacy rules and things of that, too. So they, you know, involves like when the state is spending money, they want to know exactly where that money is going. And so there are a lot of things that hop into those contracts that specifically do that for disclosure reasons and all kinds of stuff. So I guess we could call that political if we want. But in the case of net neutrality, um, you know, I think that trying to make sure that that's as apolitical, and I realize that's hard to do, uh, is something that I think is is reasonable. I mean, 83% well, of the American people, including yeah. four out of every five Republicans, uh, support net neutrality when they're described well, how it works. Well, uh, well that's, uh, you know, I, I, I would argue. University Washington I, Post, those numbers aren't for me. Uh, oh. <laughs> Okay, uh, well, and I understand that. I would argue that I'm not sure that that, that broad a swath of Americans really understand what net neutrality is. I, I, well, I, it's see, a complicated issue. Was interesting. That's why this poll was interesting, Rob, because that poll was the one where they, where they made both sides of the argument to people. So they made Ajit mm. Pai and the FCC side of the argument. They made the other side of the argument so that the people could be as well informed as they could before they answered the question. So that's why it was yeah. interesting. I mean, because the thing is, is it, I mean, it sounds nice to say, oh, well, we're going to make everything fair. You know, we're, we're going to make everything. But I, I look at this from the perspective of ISPs are somebody they've invested a lot of money into building mm-hmm. a service, right? They build their networks. They build their service. Absolutely. And now along comes companies like Facebook and Google, which mm-hmm. amounts of that national infrastructure, that that interconnected infrastructure of networks that the ISPs have built. Along come Netflix mm-hmm. and Facebook and Google, and they're saying, mm-hmm. we want you to treat our you know, very disproportionate use of your networks, the same as you would treat uh, a grandma sitting in her living room who's sending a couple of emails a month. That, to me, seems uh, no. ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I, I agree that that's exactly what they're after, but I would, I would posit this. I would posit that I don't believe that's very ridiculous because of truth of advertising. So here's the argument I'd make. Um, an ISP sells you service, and they say you're going to get it at this speed, and you can consume as much as you want, let's just say. Um, well, if they're selling the service that way, then I think as a consumer, that's what you should get. You should get the service at the speed that they tell you, and you should be able to get unlimited data. Now, if the ISPs want to sell plans that have, low, that have data caps 
um, every cell phone plan in the world works this way. There's a data cap on how much you use. If you use more, you have to pay more. That's fine. Um, if they want to sell it on data caps or if they want to sell at slower speed. So grandma goes, I'm only looking at pictures on Facebook. I don't need 30 megs down. I'm not watching Netflix. Then those are options that they all have. But when an ISP says, I'm going to sell you unlimited data at this speed, then you should be able to go wherever you want and download whatever you want. Otherwise, it's not really truth in advertising. I, I agree, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the problem is, and, and, again, and so then what, 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 plans. I think the last time we talked right. about this, Rob, you actually had mentioned like, well, what if I only use email? Uh, if I only use email, I don't need all this all this data. I agree with that 100%. You should buy as small a plan as possible. That's what I do on my phone. I only use my phone for email. I have a very, very small data plan, and it costs less, which is great for me. Um, yeah. The reason yeah. why those plans aren't very popular for broadband providers delivering business to your home, um, the reason why they're not very popular is because that's not tends to be the way most people use the Internet. Most people don't use the Internet right. just for Facebook. They're streaming stuff all the time. They've got a child. So why would we? Games. Why would we want to impose net? Why, why would we want to impose net neutrality regulations that make that market less flexible? That make what? Because you're, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, you're you're reducing the number of the number of ways that internet service providers, be they cell mm-hmm. phone providers or or like like cable internet providers, you're diminishing yep. the number of ways that they can they can price their products. I mean, you just are. That makes the market less flexible. Why would we want that market to be less flexible? How does that serve consumers? Well, well, the reason, the reason why is because of people like me. So I'm a software company, and just like everybody, I mean, if we have farmers listening, uh, you know, my job is, is to take my product and get it to market. You know, if you're a farmer, it's your crop or your livestock. In my case, it's my data that my users have, and when they ask me to deliver that data, I have to get it to them. They're my market. So, yeah. But the problem is, is that that guarantee that my data, when I put it on the network, which I pay for, gets all the way to my consumer – was only a guarantee in the fundamental understanding of how the Internet worked. And then early in the 2000s, that guarantee went away as people started blocking traffic they didn't like for whatever reason. So these rules came out of that era, that era of we have to stop people from blocking things so that I can guarantee my traffic all the way through. If ISPs are allowed to block you and you're in a contract, you have nowhere to go. If if an ISP decides to block me, then... My problem is that affects my livelihood. That affects my ability to deliver well, why, my product to market. But then why not? Why not make that part of your contracts? I mean, I mean, again, we have we have no guarantee. There is no guarantee that my grocery store down the street or that all the grocery stores in my community are going to have food on the shelves. There's no guarantee. There's mm-hmm. no legal requirement that they do it. They do it because there's a demand for food in my community, and so they're going to serve that demand as best they can. There's no law requiring them them that, to do that. We don't require that. Why do we need this requirement? The Internet was working fine without this. The Internet was not working fine without this. That's the trick. Because the Internet always did work this way, that all the data you put on the Internet was always delivered. It's what made the Internet so great. But, again, starting in 2004 all the way up until 2013, 14, 15, we noticed that the Internet was no longer working that way. There were people who were saying, I don't like you because you're competing against me, so I'm going to block your traffic. One of the classic examples is – uh, AT&T blocking Apple's FaceTime. And the reason why they did okay. it was because AT&T was worried you were going to use less minutes. So I'm going to block that product on my network, and I'm not going to let those guys deliver their product to their customers because yeah. that's going to affect see, my I bottom line. A- that was the danger. And I, seem to, I was, and I seem to remember there was backlash, and AT&T reversed that decision. I mean, we have history is littered with companies that have made stupid decisions that didn't serve their customers well, and they ended up having to backtrack. You know, I mean, we well, talk and for about big companies like Apple, instance, you can survive that's... that, but I'm not a big company. So me surviving that, that if that were to happen to me, 
is not survivable. If AT&T decided to build a simple and outboard, same as the product I build and make my, my so, living off of, if they decided to build that and block me on AT&T, I'd be out of business long before they've reversed that decision. I'm not Apple. I don't have so, billions of dollars in my war chest. So, so, so the status quo is, I mean, right as, as it stands now, the FCC has rolled back net neutrality regulations. We Correct. do not have net neutrality in the United States. In the lead-up to that, there was a lot of apocalyptic stuff going on on the Internet. I was being told my, my Internet's going to be censored, everything's going to be terrible. I mean, it, it, it was really kind of crazy. What happens sure. if those predictions don't come true? I mean, we've, we've repealed it now. What if, what if the Internet just chugs along like it always has and everything's fine? Well, those predictions are ultimately the worst-case scenario ideas. We're not going to see the worst-case scenario overnight. It won't happen tomorrow. It won't happen next week or next month even, probably. What we're going to start seeing, though, is a slowly, slippery slope thing over time. It's going to start with a process called zero rating. What zero rating is is the idea that if AT&T sells you something, that people can pay to get in. And that sounds great because the consumer goes, well, you know what? I get more data for less money. That's probably a good thing for me. What's not good for is anybody trying to challenge these incumbents, these entrenched incumbents in the Internet, because you're going to need a lot of money in order to be able to compete. And especially in states like North Dakota, there's no startup in North Dakota that can raise that kind of money. We're going to have to leave the state to go to places on the coast where you can raise the kind of money to come after some of these entrenched interests. I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, this, I have a problem with the slippery slope argument. I remember when we were all debating gay marriage, people were telling me that uh, the next thing you know, if we let, if we let same-sex couples get married, uh, people are going to be marrying their horses. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a dumb argument. I, I just, I don't sure. buy the well, slippery sure, slope here's, argument. Here's the I mean, I, between that, I don't know too many people who actually married their horse. On the other hand, though, in every, in most countries without net neutrality, you can see what the world looks like. I'm literally looking at a sign right now of AT&T's data plans in Mexico. And the bottom three plans don't yeah. give you access well, to Snapchat or Uber. This that isn't is Mexico. Literally happening. We're right not. Now. We're not. We're not. We're not living in Mexico. Mexico does not have the economic freedoms that America has. Full stop. They just don't. Sure. Uh, sure. And, and, I, and, I, and I and I and I think and I and I and I think I think that that we could be vigilant as consumers on this over time. If these things here's, crop up, we can attack this place in the marketplace. I mean, we. Here's, I, why, I, that's, I, here's why that's difficult. Here's why that's difficult to do though, because the internet is a series of networks. The person blocking your traffic may not necessarily be the one you are giving your money to. So, for example, Midco Communications, which I have them at home, they're great. They don't run a line from my servers in Northern Virginia all the way to my house. It has to pass no. through lots of networks. That's if any right. network yeah. in between there decides to block my traffic, financially, as a consumer, I can't do anything about that. I can't say, oh, well... Um, I'm going to stop giving Midco my network yeah. my money because it's not Midco's fault. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe theoretically that's a problem, Brandon. But you are calling for for a fundamental change in the way the internet is regulated to to solve a problem that I think is relatively small. I'm not saying it's not a problem. I'm not saying it's not something to be vigilant about. I'm not saying it's not even something to be concerned about. But I think you're taking a sledgehammer to a gnat. Unfortunately, we're out of time, so I'll let you have a final statement. All I would say is, is that the Internet worked this way up until Monday with the regulations. I agree that the regulations we had, but the executive order we're asking for, I think, is relatively small. We're only asking for an RFP change, and I think that that's very doable in our state. Yeah, well, I don't know. It, to me, it looked like a bunch of Democrats touting a partisan issue in an election year, but we'll see. I, I don't know. Plus, uh, plus, you know me well enough to know we've been talking about this now. For, I have been talking about this now for well over Well, you have been. So. I think, I think yeah. your feelings are, are, are genuine, if wrong, in my opinion. Brandon, it's always a delight <laughs> well, to talk to that. you, sir. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Brandon, thanks for your time. Certainly appreciate it. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report, short segment here. Uh, went a little long with Brandon. 
Somebody on Twitter didn't like my, they go, uh, somebody on Twitter just said, so Rob Port just compared same-sex marriage to net neutrality. Uh, no, didn't really. I actually compared the slippery slope argument some people made against same-sex marriage, which, by the way, I support same-sex marriage. But some people would make that slippery. Well, if we allow that, then we're going to allow this. Uh, it's it, That's a fallacy. I mean, because we allow one thing doesn't mean we have to allow another thing. You know, it's it's there's a fallacy sometimes in just jumping to the conclusion that one thing will necessarily follow the other. I, I, think, I think a lot of these apocalyptic, apocalyptic uh, predictions about what's going to happen post-net neutrality uh, are a little silly. Now, that being said, I'm not necessarily against putting in place regulations to protect Internet consumers. Uh, I just think that net neutrality is not the way to go. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDY.com. Email Iran says, now that you've straightened out Minot State, you should share your skills with electricians, code writers, and other professions you know nothing about. Ooh, that's a little catty, Eric. I would say. I'm guessing Ron's not a fan. I guess not. Um, he, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't go in there claiming to be. In fact, somebody asked me, uh, I was complaining about, um, well, my daughter's curriculum. I was, I was in, in her English class. They were reading books, and I asked, you know, what, which literature they were covering, and, and her teacher told me the Hunger Games trilogy, which I was disappointed to hear. Not that those aren't, you know, very entertaining books. I'm just a little dubious as to their literary value in terms of instruction. But, uh, you know, say la vie. And somebody asked me, so, well, what curriculum would you put in place? And I admitted, I I, I'm not. I'm not a pedagogical expert. I'm not. You know. I'm. I'm just. But. But I think. I mean. Listen. I've been writing about public policy for 15 years. I think I'm qualified to maybe weigh in on some of this stuff, and you know, certainly there and, and be rebuttal. And and I think the people in the room, most of whom, by the way, were faculty and instructors and teachers and administrators. Heck, the president of Minot State University was in the room. They seemed to find what I had to say valuable, Ron. So. Uh, no, I won't presume to tell an electrician what to do, but yeah, uh, I have some thoughts on higher education policy. Deal with it. Congressman Kevin Kramer, coming up next. Welcome back. We're at Port 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDY.com. That information is important because Congressman Kevin Kramer is joining us for his weekly open phone segment. If you have comments, you have questions, you can get them in now. Once again, 701 701- Two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email them. Talk at wday.com. Or I suppose you can even tweet me uh, at Rob Port. Congressman, how's it going? It's going well, but with all that, all those ways of getting a hold of you, I don't. You know, it almost makes my head spin. But um, it's amazing yeah. how effectively we can communicate with one another. So I love it. Yeah. Well, there's uh, I got a lot of avenues, and I tell you, a lot of people like to communicate with me, Kevin. It's I, I'm getting all, I have no not a lot of them seem true. to like not a lot of them seem to like me very much. But that's uh, well, you're in you the provocation do? business, and uh, that's the beauty of talk radio. You take all comers, and that's that's pretty cool. It is for sure. Well, let's get straight to the calls. Uh, I believe we have uh, John and Karen. Let's uh, what what do we want here first, uh, Eric? John or Karen? All right, let's, uh, let's go to John first. John, you're on. What's up? Hey, John. Well, Congressman, I'm glad that you're such an accessible person, unlike your uh, <laughs> uh, opposition that you'll be running against this mm-hmm. fall. You've got my, my vote by a long shot. Thanks. The question I have for you as a gun owner, Kevin, mm-hmm. what's annoying me lately more and more is I'm seeing more and more of these mass shootings that are going on, and I'm seeing less and less people being held accountable and that includes people with the FBI that didn't 
appear to do their job in, 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 in Parkland, among others. Sure. And I'm wondering when Congress is maybe going to step up to the plate a little bit and actually start looking at some of these government agencies and actually holding them accountable for enforcing the laws we already have on the books. So great question, great points. Um, Parkland is a good example of an FBI, um, you know, dropping the ball. And if it, if it was occasional, it'd be one thing. Or if it was even rare, uh, I guess that would that'd be great. But it's it's not as rare as we wish it were because you look at several of the recent shootings. Parkland being one of them. But you remember the church? There was a church shooting in one of the southern states where there was a red flag. The uh, the person had been arrested for a previous not long before. Uh, I think it was a drug charge, uh, and uh, there was the shooting. In, in Texas, um, where a person had slipped through the cracks again, uh, and in the, really the, the the NICS system has failed, not because the system's bad, but because people aren't they're not following through with it. So these red flags are going up, and whether it's local law enforcement, FBI, um, or others, this, there's just, I don't know if they're overwhelmed or what the situation is, but it's just clearly some of the agencies do not evidently have enough of an incentive, John, to, to actually enforce the laws that should be enforced. And so in, in our fixed NICS bill, and you know that, that there was fixed NICS portion that came out of the Senate that, that made it into this omnibus spending bill, but the House passed a fixed NICS bill that provided more incentives, both stick and, and carrot incentives for local law enforcement and states to actually carry out the law as it exists today without new laws having to be to be passed. So you're exactly right. I would well, tell you this. Well, I agree with you, you know, on, on, on that aspect, Congressman. When I when I view incentives, I view incentives more like our, our current president, Donald Trump. Incentives yeah. are do your damn job or, or go look for a different job. Yeah. I mean, I, I realize that throwing money at, at, at problem is part of the solution, but at a certain point, I'm I'm a firm believer that we need to be holding people accountable for not doing their job. No, so. it's an important point, but, but just look at the controversy over sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. I mean, we have entire cities that, you know, flip the bird to the to the uh, federal law enforcement, federal laws to protect our our, uh, our citizens and our, our country, and they don't carry out the federal laws. Uh, they violate federal laws, and when he, we talk about, um, you know, withholding funding from them, which we've done in the House, we've passed in the House, and they've failed in the Senate, um, that just sort of goes on without, you know, without any, you know, consequence. And I, I agree with you. We, we do need to hold people accountable. Um, at the same time, when I talk about incentives, I'm not necessarily saying new money either. I'm saying here's the pot of money for carrying out laws and enforcing laws. If you don't do it, what you're supposed to do, you don't get it. But if you, this, if this state or this community over here is doing it, they get it. Um, I don't think you have to add to the budget deficit to do this. You just have to distribute it in a way that incents people to do the right thing. Well, I'm just hoping Thanks, at some point, Congressman, that we come up with an answer to put an end to some of this. I mean, you know, as a, as a gun owner, people seem to think it doesn't weigh on our minds, but it does. Sure you know, does. it truly does concern sure us, does. and I, I just think that we we all need to move forward with it. Thanks very much, sir. Have a good afternoon. Yeah, thank Thanks, th- th- thanks for the call, John. We'll keep moving here. And if you want to get a, a, a comment or question into the Congressman, 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Karen, you're on next. What's up? What do you think about taxing Internet stores? What do I think about taxing Internet stores? So I think the taxing of Internet stores 
uh, first of all, I think that taxing is, sales taxing, of course, is a state issue. But it is also, you know, when you talk about inter- internet, you're also talking about interstate. And I think that, um, I don't, I'm not looking for more ways to tax more people. I'm not looking for more ways to, to add to the cost of doing things. But there is a fundamental fairness issue with regard to uh, retailers that have a presence in a community um, and, and collect a local tax and then send it in, obviously, to, the, to, to whether it's a local government, county government, state government, and we know that all of them have these taxing authorities. Um, and then an internet sales or an internet sales aren't necessarily taxed the same although it's getting to the point now where it's becoming sophisticated enough that most at least a lot of groups already do collect the tax a couple things one thing is i think it's been a long time coming in the sense that there's not been the type of technology regardless of what others have said it's never been demonstrated that there's a technology that is universal enough that the 10,000 plus taxing entities in the country can all be accurately, you know, enforced um, by you know by an online retailer. I also think that many of our retailers now are all on the internet. In other words, whether you're a small local retailer or a national Amazon.com, you have the opportunity now to have access to the whole world. I don't think we need to create more incentives for that to be more difficult. So yeah, well, me, I'd like to see a me, high threshold if we have something like that. By that, I mean like a $5 million threshold so we don't squash um, startups. And I'd also like to see the technology work so that we don't do it, uh, you know, so we're making sure that we're, we're doing it all equally and evenly. Just just to add on, because I, I think Karen's question was probably prompted by South Dakota v. Wayfair, which is before the U.S. Supreme Court, which is challenging a precedent set here in North Dakota, Quill v. North Dakota. Mm -hmm. Um, My question for you, it seems to me, I don't like the South Dakota case, not because I'm necessarily against applying the sales tax to online sales. I worry about the interstate commerce issue. It seems to me that if we want to start applying state taxes to this interstate commerce, I feel like Congress has got to get involved. Why hasn't Congress tackled this? Well, part of the problem is for, for that very reason and that, that it's not really been much of an interstate commerce issue until more recently, um, as there's been more access. But here's one of the problems I have, Rob, with exactly what you've described. One of my concerns, I shouldn't say problem, but one of the concerns, I, 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 I want to guard against a federal sales tax. God knows we don't need the federal government to find another way to extract money from more people. And I do worry that if we get overly involved in this, that it, that, that would be the next possible path. And the taxpayers have enough things going against them without needing that yeah. as well. I, I'm, and I, I want to get to that. We have Andrea and Todd waiting with questions. And I just, I just want to make this point to you, though. I'm worried about weakening the interstate commerce clause. The state of North yeah. Dakota sued Minnesota for trying yeah. to, for Minnesota trying to push their environmental regulations across state lines. Mm-hmm. While I don't want a federal sales tax, I also don't want to set a precedent where, whereby we're saying, well, it's okay for South Dakota or North Dakota or whatever to start projecting policy beyond their borders. I don't want well, that. Well, and that's, that, and that's the uh, logical outcome. There's, there's no question about it. And here's the other thing w- with this, you know, this issue is where do you tax? What do you do? You tax based on where the, the the product is bought from, or where the product is sold to? And of course, it's where the product is sold to. So does that mean if I come from Minnesota and I go into the Shield store in North Dakota, are you going to charge me Minnesota sales tax because I'm going to wear that jacket in Minnesota, not in North Dakota? Are we well? We're, we're supposed to. to. If, if, if you go, if 
if you, as a North Dakota, if you go the other way, if you go to Minnesota and you buy something, you bring back to North Dakota, you're supposed to pay a use tax. Now, right. I had I had the tax commissioner, Ryan Rauschberger, on. He said, like, nine people, including him. He was one of the few <laughs> nerds who actually did this. Of course uh, you would. I, I, did, I didn't do it. Um, but but he, he, he remitted the use tax. So well, almost well, nobody's well, doing right. that. Anyway. And, and there you go. You've taken away Minnesota's incentive to be the shopping, you know, choice of people along the border. And I, I just, yeah. I agree. I think it becomes a, I think it's far we, more complicated principally than it is probably um, technologically these days. We are getting short on time, and I want to get everybody in. Andrea's on next. Go ahead, Andrea. we got we got to be quick now. Go ahead, Andrea. Thanks. Yes, thank you. Um, Congressman, you've been such a big supporter of balancing the federal budget, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate. But I want to get into some specifics, because whenever politicians talk about debt, they talk about cutting back entitlements, and that's just seems like such Washington jargon to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I would like to hear where exactly the government can scale back to get spending under control. Sure. So Thanks, Andrea. the reason they talk about that, Andrea, is because 70% of the federal budget is on the mandatory side of the ledger. The other 30% is the discretionary side, and 50% of that 30% is defense spending. So now you've come down to non-defense the, Discretionary spending is 15% of the overall budget, so clearly you cannot balance 100% of the budget on 15% of the expenses and and the the spending. So when I talk about, for example, getting to balance, there are a couple things you have to do is grow the economy, and the good news is that we have an economy that's that's growing at a very good rate right now and a good pace, and hopefully we can keep that momentum going. The second thing, though, it has to do, on, uh, just for example, on the entitlement side. I don't think you don't have to cut any benefits today for Medicare or Social Security or, or, or uh, Medicaid. Um, but if you look 10 years, 15 years, 20 years out and make some slight changes today that, that are effective, say, 15 or 20 years from now, because of the way that the, the sort of the tail wags, if you look at a pendulum, for example, um, the little change at the, at the beginning of the pendulum makes big swing changes at, at later on, uh, little things like indexing, for example, uh, maybe, maybe a little means testing in, in, in one area or another um, uh, in either Medicare and or Social Security could have a huge impact on getting us toward balance without hurting any current seniors, any soon-to-be seniors. Um, yeah. But every day that we wait and we get closer to insolvency with those programs, that means the changes have to be that much more dramatic. All right, we got. I want to get Todd in here too. We got to be sure. real quick. Todd, go ahead. What's up? Hi, Congressman. Hey, Todd. Uh, you made uh, another comment just uh, to the last person with regards mm-hmm. to the economy doing really well, and I'm hoping that some of that is due to the recent tax cuts. Sure. I was just wondering with with the better economy, mm-hmm. which means that we'll pay a lower tax rate, mm-hmm. but you're hoping that the overall tax revenue will be higher. Mm-hmm. With that overall tax revenue being higher, what are the chances are that we can get some of that money to help pay for the Fargo diversion? Oh, great, great question. So, so there, there is no sort of direct, you know, save this much, this much goes to the Fargo diversion, but it obviously helps the health of the revenue picture in the long run. But I do think that, that, um, you know, with regard to the, to the uh, diversion and other major infrastructure projects, they are going to require, you know, multiple years of, of funding, and that's always difficult to get out of the federal government because we appropriate every year 
um, while we authorize things for five years or ten years, uh, every year is a new appropriation. So I don't know that you can get a designated um, funding source. We, we're working on that, trying to get that done. But I, I don't know that there's a complete settlement on any of it at this point. We're fortunate to have it authorized, um, and we're fortunate to live in a state that actually has a little bit of revenue, so that at least the project That's too bad because you could squeeze $2 billion out of that defense budget to pay for a substantial portion of it very, very easily. Yeah, well, that defense budget, unfortunately, has been decimated over the last 10 years, and so we're we're doing our best to catch up. I I got to interject here because we are flat out of time. Todd, thank you for the call. Congressman, thank you you for your time as always. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Rob. Bye-bye. It's Cars for Kramer. He's here uh, usually every Wednesday. We'll wrap the show up right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Port wrapping the show up. Short segment here. I went a little long with the congressman. Hey, when you call in, we got people calling in. They want to ask him questions. I want to give everybody time to get their questions out, get the congressman's response. I'll make room for everybody. That's what that whole segment's about. But it means we're a little short here. Jay Thomas show coming up next. You'll want to stay tuned for that. Uh, Eric, I don't know what the heck we're doing on tomorrow's show. Talking about a Twins victory. Let's let's go yeah, Twins. Maybe, maybe that, that could be. That could be. Uh, maybe you don't know. You can't win them all. I could baseball. win the lottery tonight, as you know, as well. But you could same you odds. Could. You, you know what? I had a dream last night. You know what my dream was? What? I dreamed about my happy place, about what my, maybe my version of heaven might be if there's such a place as heaven. Okay. It's uh, it's the Yankees playing the Twins 162 games. A year. That's <laughs> so you're saying somebody will finally have a perfect season. <laughs> somebody might. Per- <laughs> I don't know if it'd be perfect, but it would be pretty darn good. Thanks for listening. You can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. North Dakota's most popular political blog. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.